You're listening to a DM podcast. I should have worn mine. Can I go and get my Hawaiian shirt? That'd be great. Righto, beautiful. Where are you, Hawaiian shirt? Here you are. It's not as colourful as yours, but at least now I've got my Hawaiian shirt on. I've got little toucans and surfer girls and combi bands, so now I feel right at home. Brilliant. Beautiful. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to a new episode of Mr. A+. And I hope everyone is doing well. Joining us today is once again another fellow Aussie actor from a certain Australian television series known as Home and Away, the third cast member of this show to appear on the podcast too. Not long ago, he reached out to me and proclaimed himself to be a fan of me, which is really kind of him. Now, let's all give a warm welcome for Matt Stevenson. Wow, what an intro, Michael. Thank you so much. And yes, I am a fan of yours. Um, when I saw you on Love on the Spectrum, I, um, I, like to look in, I, I like to look for little moments of joy in life. And when I, I, I saw you on, on your show, I just, I just loved your passion and your authenticity, uh, your honesty and your values uh, and your courage for that matter. So um, yeah, I was a fan straight away. So I'm I'm really thrilled to be chatting with you today. Thank you for having me on the show. Not at all, Matt. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on. My first question is, how are you doing and your family? I'm doing really well, thank you. It's uh, Friday. We're filming on a Friday and the weekend's coming up. So, um, yeah, I'm well. I'm healthy and my family uh, is really well as well. My wife and my two daughters make up my family and my dog, Sheba, and my cat, Bo, so um, yeah, no, we're all doing really well, Michael. Thank you. How are you going? I'm doing all right. Um, still getting through life as it happens. What are some of your challenges that you're facing at the moment, or is everything smooth sailing? Not everything is smooth sailing at the moment. I don't really have the regular the regular income like I used to, and so um, work is you know up and down. Works a bit up and down. Yeah, that can be a bummer, can't it? Yeah. What are you doing about that? Is there, are you doing anything proactive to change that or is it just a case of circumstances out of your control at the moment? Just a lot of circumstances out of my control at the moment. Okay. Well, I hope that picks up soon for you. I'm sure it will. In the interim, you've got plenty of time to do podcasts, which is the silver lining, which is fantastic. Yep, it is. I really enjoy doing it. Well, you're good at it. It's a real talent of yours. So, um, yeah, no, keep it up. Thank you. So I will definitely keep it up. I need to ask you, um, can you tell us about your early life prior to your entry into acting? Yeah, I sure can. So I grew up in Melbourne. Actually, when I was a young boy, I, I would have been maybe six or seven getting ready for school. I was sitting in a beanbag watching some TV before going to school and there was a TV show on where they were doing a story about how you could go to schools to um, not only learn the normal scholastic subjects, but art schools where you could learn to become an actor. And that resonated with me straight away. So from an early age, I, um, I had a passion to act um, from that age, six, seven, um, however old I was. And I went and told my mum, I said, mum, I want to be an actor. 
I also met, and she she was thrilled, and I mentioned that to my father. My father was an orphan, um, and he didn't have much of an education, so he wanted me to go to a really good school. So, sorry, let me rephrase that. He wanted me to go to a, a mainstream school, not an art school. So, yeah, he wasn't approving of me going to an art school. So I went to a, um, a college. Ironically, at that college, the ABC came to audition me for a lead role in a telly movie called Breaking Up. I was 15 at the time, as I mentioned, and I went along at lunchtime to audition in the drama room. And then I got a call back to go down to the ABC for a few more auditions, and I ended up getting the role. So uh, two weeks later, I'm on the set of a television series and I'm uh, in the lead role. So that was really exciting. But leading up to that, um, I was just a normal kid living in the suburbs. I was pretty sporty. I liked playing soccer and cricket. Um, I liked hanging out with my mates, um, going to the beach when I could. So I had a relatively relatively normal upbringing, I would say. When did you first know that you wanted to be an actor? Ever since I was a very little kid. As well? Yep. Something I've always been very passionate about. Not because of the fame, but because of the craft itself. Yeah, that's that's certainly what what drew me to it. And I found um, I, I did a few more roles, and we can talk about that later. But when I when I got my role on Neighbours and then Home and Away, and I found the adulation from from the viewers, it was uh, certainly something that you had to get used to. Just all that extra notoriety, I guess. An actor's main tool is the ability to be able to study and observe people. And I guess when you become the observed um, and the studied, that makes it a little tricky. But um, that's something you get used to. So acting's always been one of your passions, has it? Oh, yes. One of my top three, uh, actually top four biggest passions. What are your other passions? Railways, animals, and nature. Oh, wow. Okay. I did notice that railways were a passion of yours. Have you been to any of the good railways in Australia, like Puff and Billy down here in Melbourne? <sighs> Unfortunately, no. I'm still yet to go. Is that on your bucket list of things to do, to visit Puff and Billy? It's definitely on my bucket list, yeah, because I want to be able to travel behind real engines. Oh, cool. Okay. Can you do me a favour? When you come down to do Puff and Billy, can you give me a call? And if there's room, I'd love to come along and do it with you because I've never been on Puff and Billy either. So I'd love to if that's okay. Yeah, that'd be that'd be amazing. Awesome. All right. That's a date. Perfect. Excellent. A mate date. Brilliant. That. What are, so your other passions, animals, what, what, what are some of your favourite animals? Australian animal species like kangaroos, koalas, emus, platypuses, kookaburras, wombats, echidnas, Tasmanian devils. I saw an echidna the other day. Really? Where? I live next door to a flora and fauna reserve in Victoria and I go for a walk or a run in there all the time and there was an echidna sunning itself. So I went up to it and I went to pat it, very spiky. It was on a track that gets a lot of traffic. So I picked it up and put it in a safer space and then I just went and walked on. But I, I find, I mentioned earlier, I like, I, I like searching for moments of joy in life and I find that animals give me joy as well. So Amen. I saw a wallaby the other day and I just stopped and looked at it and it looked at me and just had a moment. And for that point in time, I just forgot about all the worries of the world and I was just focusing on this beautiful animal and then it hopped away and 
that was like a little mental hack, a reset for me. So it was awesome. Yeah, I love I love animals too, Michael. Yeah, I also really love so many of the African animal species as well. Tigers are my favourite. Well, I think giraffes might be my favourite actually. I just wow. they're beautiful. They're so tall. I'd love to be able to see them in the wild. Yeah, I've I've never been to um, Africa, but that's on my that's on my bucket list for sure. Same. What about sharks? I love I love all animals except spiders. Yeah, I'm with you. Spiders, no. I had one in my car the other day, a huntsman. <gasps> I screamed and got out of the car and there were people around looking at me, just laughing at me. No, they bring me to my knees, huntsmen. Oh, I can't stand them. People were laughing over that? Yes. Well, it must have looked pretty funny. Yeah, a bit mean, I agree. But It's called a phobia, arachnophobia. Yeah. So have you got the phobia, do you reckon? Yeah. I feel extremely uneasy around even photos of spiders. Mm. Even Aragog from Harry Potter, he scares me too. Oh, yeah, I can see. Yeah, I see what you mean. What if they invited you to go on, I'm a celebrity, get me out of here, and you had to eat a spider? I couldn't do it. In fact, that actually reminds me, I was originally um, offered to go on that show last year, but I had to turn it down out of concern for my health long term. Very smart. There's actually a story behind why I decided to turn it down. Okay. Out of, out of concern for my health long term. I'm not sure if you're familiar with this person, but in the 20th century, there was an actor named Frankie Darrow. He served in the US Navy Hospital Corps during World War II. And while he was enlisted, he contracted malaria. And later on oh. in life, his symptoms were recurring. And it caused him to increase his alcohol intake for pain management. And that affected his career. Wow. As roles became fewer for him, he opened his own tavern and called and named it Try Later, which is the response he often received when he asked Central Casting for work. <laughs> so That's a cool name. I mean, it's not cool what happened to him. So basically, I didn't want anything similar to what, hap- what happened to him to happen to me. Yep, yep. Well, you've touched on something really important there. That's how stunt people came into play. You know, stump people came into play because they couldn't risk the talent getting injured. So you're really using that philosophy um, in making a decision about that show. Well, that seems to me to be common sense. Every now and then you've got to live a little and be a little bit risky. What's the? And I know you're not afraid of that because I saw you jump out of an aeroplane on a date. Oh, yeah. Guts is that. That was was skydiving. I know. Are you you crazy? I mean, I I couldn't do that. I'm not not courageous enough to do that. What made you do that? I was actually paid to do it. <laughs> but also, I was terrified. You didn't look it. You've got a good poker face. Thanks. Going through the clouds was very cold. Yeah, I noticed you only had a T-shirt on, didn't you? And I thought, where's your warm clothes? So it was really cold, was it? Yeah. And the other thing is, I felt like I wasn't able to breathe. And, because, and being so high in the air, it was very terrifying for me because I'm so used to being on the ground. And you would have been falling at about 200 kilometres an hour or something, wouldn't you? That's maybe why you yeah. couldn't breathe because you had all that yeah. falling so far. Yeah. And would you do it again? Yeah, I'm open to doing it again at some point. Wow. When I saw that, my respect for you just shot up another level. I mean, that's really yeah. courageous. Well done. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Absolutely, mate. Not many people are courageous enough to jump out of a plane, so well done. Yeah, that's that's good true. Work. And you did it and you did it for love. How was the date? Was the date any good or not? It was it was lovely, but the person I went on the date with, she has a lot of stuff going on right now. And to be honest, I was never that keen on going on any further dates with her. 
Okay, well, well, honesty is good, isn't it? I mean, it's it's got to work for both of you. I mean, that's the most important decision you're going to make in life is your life partner because they're going to provide they're going to provide you know a lot of your happiness. So yeah, yeah, it's a very very important decision, not one not one to rush into. When you strike me as someone who's very considered and honest, so yeah, I'm sure yeah. you will find the right person one day, Michael. Thanks, I've got man. no doubt about that. I'm sure it will. I was also going to ask you, your character on Home and Away was named Adam Cameron, and you played him from 1989 to 1994, which was the year I was born. Can can you describe this time filming one of Australia's most iconic soap operas? And what did the role mean to you? So what did the role mean to me? I was, I'd spent six weeks in Neighbours playing a criminal, bad boy and then ian smith who played harold's liked my character and wanted to write me back into the show so they wrote me back in for another three months and the associate producer of neighbors was becoming the producer of home and away so he basically headhunted me up to home and away uh so i moved from neighbors to home and away and it was like a dream come true Mm. for me to be able to make a living as a young man i think i joined the show when i was 19 for me to be able to make a living as a young man from my passion uh, was, yeah, really a really beautiful thing. And guess who was in my one of my first scenes? One of your, your favourite singer and actor. Guess who it was? Are you referring to Justin Clark? Yes, I am. She was in one of the first scenes. My character saved her from a guy called Revhead. So I came into town as this young bloke on a yacht and then she was getting picked on by this guy called Revhead and I went and saved her and a couple of other characters. So Justine Clark is amazing. She's one of my favourite actors and singers too. Amen. And she's awesome on Play School. Play School is one of my favourite shows too. I love it as well. I don't get to watch it much these days, but I certainly watched it, you know, when I was a kid. So I'm glad to hear that yeah. um, it's one of your favourite shows too. Yeah. Oh, and you'll enjoy this. Guess what I have in my possession. What's that? This. <laughs> How cool is that? It is. It's a photo. Yeah, a framed photo of Justine Clark. Yeah, awesome. Now, who's she holding? Oh, Fergus. Yeah, Fergus. The there you go. So, Home and Away. Yeah, Home and Away meant a lot to me. I was on that show for four years and I learned a lot. Uh, I met some lifelong friends and it gave me great opportunities to travel as well. So, working on... Working on a full-time television show, you really get to hone your craft uh, and you really get to, um, you know, experience the industry, uh, which is quite a small industry. Uh, and when you're in it, on a full-time capacity, uh, yeah, you really get to meet everyone. So it was a, yeah, it was a really good, good period of my life. It would have been. Would you, would you go on Home and Away? If I was offered a role, yeah, I would. Okay, well, let's. Let's see what we can do about that. Operation Michael on Home and Away, what do you reckon? Sounds good. I heard you talking um, with Claudia Carvin and you mentioned that you like playing those deadpan characters. Yeah, deadpan is my favourite style, humour style because my sense of humour is pretty dry. But I'm actually, consider, I consider myself a versatile performer. Well, that's good. You'll need to be because, yeah, yeah, you you will need to be versatile um, if you want to have any sort of consistent 
uh, I guess, run at the industry. Yeah, it's good that you're versatile. Yeah. What, 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 what other role do you like playing? Um, characters in comedy or drama or comedy drama, any kinds, except for horror, thriller, slasher, and suspense. A bit scary? Too heavy. Yeah, but fair a, enough. But all other genres, you got it. You're leaving a lot of other genres open, so that's yeah. good. I've actually, about three years ago, I got together with a group of mates and we made a feature film called A Small Punch in a Little Town. It's set in a little town and it's it's about, sadly, that coward punch pandemic where um, these young kids are doing it and it occurred in a small town and one of the kids passed away, so it was focused on the impacts of that particular act, what that had on the town. But I've actually written another film and there's a character in there that I reckon would be good for you. Now, I've got a temper expectation here because in writing films, it takes such a long time from, I guess, development to even pre-production to production, such a long time. This film is, um, is based on a group of recovering gamblers who push a billy cart across the country to raise money for a dying child and in the process they seek redemption for past sins so it's um there's a lot of diversity in my film because in this film because i'm um i'm an ally for diversity and i think you wanted to talk about that at some stage um given that given that my daughter's transgender I'm happy to talk about that now if you want and then we can tie back into the film and um, we can talk about the film and there's even a little scene that you and I can practice together. There's only one line each if you want. Well, I'm able, I'm able to improvise easily. Perfect. Well, let's do that. But, but before we get to all this, I hear you have a daughter who identifies as transgender. What was your reaction when she first opened up about this at the age of 12? My first reaction. For me, it was a bit of a... For me, it was a bit of an aha moment. I kind of got it. When she was young, she always gravitated to all things feminine. Not that that necessarily femininity is associated with that gender, but it was it just to me, it was like it was like there was, um, you know, I use the term a point of difference, um, which is I don't know. Um, whether that's the right term, but when she came to me at the age of 12 and she told me that she was trapped in the wrong body, not only was it an aha moment, but for me it was, as a dad, you, um, I, I think I went into protective mode because I was naive. Um, I was ignorant of gender dysphoria. I didn't know what it meant. So I had to educate myself pretty quickly. And when I did, it was the really grace coming to me at 12 and saying that she's transgender was the start of a beautiful journey. Mm. I often say that I had a front row seat to the most courageous thing I've seen, um, grace running towards authenticity. And it was the way she just, the way she just wanted to stand up and jump over hurdles and run towards authenticity by being herself was really courageous. And, you know, I mean, I'm glad that I could play a part in supporting her to do that. So now she's my beautiful 22-year-old daughter and um, she's living the best version of herself and she advocates a lot for diversity, um, as do I. So I'm an ally for diversity. Same. Um, Yeah, well, that's good to hear. And At the moment, I'm accepting, which is great. 
which is which is a passive action. So, yeah. but what can I do to be more inclusive? I mean, that's where the real productive allyship lies when you can really be inclusive and advocate. So I'm looking for ways to do that, and that's probably uh, one of the main reasons why I'm chatting with you today, Michael. Is I guess I hope that people listening to this, um, if it offers support or helps in any way, then I guess that's that's an action of, of me trying to be inclusive in my application. So, yeah, I love her, mate. She's awesome. That's She's really wonderful. wonderful. Must have taken you a lot of bravery to accept all this. There are a couple of awkward conversations I had to have, particularly with mates who were all accepting. It's a little uncomfortable saying, oh, my son is now my daughter, but when you look at the journey that my daughter had to step through, the, the hurdle she had to step through in her plight to to live her authentic life, then really the challenges that I had were minuscule in comparison. But I don't want to undersell my role because it's really critical in my advocacy when I talk to other fathers who might be wrestling with their child's gender dysphoria. Yeah, it does take a lot. You've got to really stump up and uh, identify your priorities. And my priority was always my daughter from her cradle to my grave, I'll always be her protector. That's what I say. So, you know, if people weren't on board, then they weren't on board. No, it's beautiful, mate. Definitely. It's beautiful. There were hurdles, but it's, um, yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, of course. My next question for you is, why is it important to be an advocate for diversity? I think it's important to be an ally for diversity because diversity is a strength. That's not a weakness. It is critical to advocate uh, for diversity uh, and in my role at work, uh, not only in my personal life, in my role at work, I play a key role in driving diversity. I work for a big organisation with 25,000 employees and I have a HR role within that organisation and I play an active part in embracing diversity. I work in an area that embraces affirmative measures, recruitment. Very important to have allies in that space uh, and it's very, very important to normalise diversity. Mm. We all have our own unique strengths uh, and we all have our own unique challenges. Yeah. I think the more role models, the more allies we can get in that space, uh, the easier it's going to be for people to feel like they can be themselves. I completely agree with you there, sir, because the other thing is that I'm, I consider myself a diversity advocate as well because in the past few years since Love on the Spectrum aired, a lot of people on the spec on the spectrum and not on the spectrum see me as this role model and an inspiration. And it wasn't very long ago that I decided to embrace being an autism advocate. I actually got to say this. Some other things actually motivated me to accept being an autism advocate because you see, in high school, I was marginalized by my peers in high school. Mm. And out of me and my siblings, I was the least invited to things. Now that I'm an advocate for autism, I'm going to make sure that nobody on the spectrum has to go through any, any of the crap that I went through. Yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting, mate, when you say that. I mean, that made, must have made you feel pretty terrible when you weren't invited to stuff, eh? Yeah, it was. Mm. I've had beautiful conversations with my daughter where she felt marginalised and picked on, bullied as a kid, and it just makes my, chum my, my, my stomach churn as a parent. But 
when I saw you on Love on the Spectrum, and there's that courage again that you're talking about standing up and being a role model. And I knew as soon as I was watching you, I fell in love with you on the show like the rest of the country who watched it. And I knew that you were going to be a role model for diversity. And I'm so thrilled to hear that it's happened. Have you had lots of people reach out to you to thanking you for being so courageous and talking about your life and your journey? You would not believe how many times I've been told been told this in person and on Instagram as well. People around the world. Oh, how good does that make you feel? By people, by from people on the spectrum to to parents of people on the spectrum, it feels wonderful, actually. Yeah, well, that takes courage. Well done. I'm really proud of you, mate. Yeah, thank, it's, yeah thank you, it's, sir. It's remarkable what you do. Thank you, sir. That means a lot. I also got to ask you this: if you could say one message to the world to assist in the acceptance of transgender people, what would that be? I would say that the modern day pandemic is mental ill health. And I would say to people of the world, we just need to start loving people for who they are. Yes. And if we can love and embrace people for who they are, if people can feel comfortable being who they are, then that will go a long way to eradicating a lot of the challenges that people of diversity feel, marginalised groups feel. Yeah, I um, know. Just walk in someone's shoes is what I ask. Everyone is dealing with some level of trauma or conflict in their life. So being nice and embracing everyone is the first step to really, you know, improving, improving the world we live in. That's very true because we all have to accept one another because we all have differences, whether it's in terms of a race or ethnicity or sexuality or if you're on the spectrum or if you have some kind of disability, doesn't ma- those things don't matter because we're all people. We all want to be loved, mm. accepted, and we all seek a purpose in life. Yep. And you and I are no exception either. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. You look through the diversity and look at the strengths and capability. Yeah. As my role as advocate, I, I try to be in- in- inclusive by by not looking at the diversity. So, for instance, I'll give you an example. In this film that I've written where all my characters, uh, there's a very diverse range of characters within the film, the strongest character in the film is an Indigenous woman. And I've done that for two reasons. Most of the strongest people in my life are, are female. And I'm one of these white fellas that loves the fact that I live in a country that has the longest continuous living culture. I love our Indigenous culture. So the fact that the strongest character in the film is an Indigenous woman um, is something that I wanted to have, and we don't focus on her Aboriginality at all. She's in the film, a central role in the film. She's strong, and she's the glue that binds all the characters together, but there's no mention of her Aboriginality because she's just there and she's just strong. And I think if we can normalise everything in that way, um, it goes a long way towards does. stamping out prejudice. Are you talking about this film that you mentioned earlier that you're working on? Yes, and the one where there could be a role for you in there. Really? There's a, a set of twins in there, and one of the twins is transgender, um, and that's an ode to my daughter. The other twin is neurodivergent with a physical disability, 
one of the things these guys have got to do in the film is they've got to push a billy cart across the country to raise money for a dying child. The twin, let's call her Denise, turns to Dan, the character that I reckon you would be good at. Dan. As they're about to push the billy cart, Denise turns to Dan and says, are you going to be okay? You walk with a limp and pushing anything a long way is going to be very problematic for you. So that's the only reference to the disability in the film is when your twin turns to you and says, Dan, are you going to be okay? And then your character says, I'll be fine, Denise. We've got to save Stacey. So if I say that line to you, can you say that line back to me? Sure. Let me give you the leading line. So I'll say the leading line first, right? Um, And I'll say action and then I'll do the leading line and then you do your line and then I'll go cut. Um, And deadpan is good. Because you're about to push a billy cart over 100 kilometres yeah. and you know this is going to be, when you say I'll be fine, Denise, you know you're not going to be fine. You know this is going to take lots of guts because pushing a billy cart 100 kilometres with your disability is going to be tough. And then when you say we need to save Stacey, you're doing it because you know that if you raise money, then you could save this girl's life. Yeah. So even though it's... A couple of lines, there's a lot in it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Action. Are you going to be okay, Dan? I'll be fine. We need to save Stacy. Beautiful. Beautiful. Let's do it one more time. What, you, yeah. you want to have another crack? Yeah, sure. Action. Are you going to be okay, Dan? I'll be fine, Denise. Right now, we have to save Stacy. Beautiful. I love what you did then, mate. What you did then was, I don't mind if you change the words a bit as long as you get the intention. And what you did then was you made it your own, like you changed the lines a little bit, right? We have to save Stacey. That was good, mate. How would it feel? Feels great. In terms of roles, I'm able able to do lead roles or supporting roles or background roles, any kinds. (laughs) Well, there's that versatility, mate, you talked about earlier. I also have the ability to do animated character voices. Okay, who can we do? Okay, are you familiar with Hanna-Barbera's content? Absolutely. Thank God. One of the characters that I can do superbly well is Snagglepuss. What do you say to that? What do you say to that? He's in the next room. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. I'll just snag him with his tea strainer. Heavens to Murgatroyd. His shooting is improved immensely. Oh, you have nailed that. That is awesome. He's talented. Wonderful, even. <laughs> I'm going to go and Google that. There's a there's a big need for um for animated uh, actors at the moment. Actors to do animation voiceover. So I could definitely do those. I believe that um I'm I've actually now reached the end of, of my questions. So that means we can now move on to a special segment known as Ask Mister A Plus, where you get the chance to ask me questions. Awesome. I love this. Okay, let's do it. I shot a short film the other day just in the weekend that was about two guys fishing by a dam and one of them catches a genie bottle. You would have been perfect in this because it really requires really deadpan acting. So one of them catches a genie bottle and they open the genie bottle and they're sitting there having their drink and then this genie pops out and the genie says, I've got to give you three wishes. And the guys turn to each other and because they're so happy fishing, and they're so happy just drinking in each other's company, they say, no, nah, we're okay, thanks. We don't want three wishes. And then the genie pushes them and says, but I've got to give you three wishes. And they say, right, oh, well, why don't you rack off three times? So the genie has to rack off. 
And then they're left there just fishing, drinking their beer as if nothing happened. Wow. What would you do if a, if a genie said she could give you three wishes? What would you want? Well, I would, I would, the first thing I would wish for would be billions and billions of dollars. For you? Yes. Okay. You love your money, don't you? Well, for financial security. Yeah. And to also afford a house as well. Yeah, well, you, well, yeah, well, you do need lots of money for houses at the moment. They're quite yeah. expensive, aren't they? Now, Tell if you me had, about it. If you had billions and billions, so you, so you got your financial security locked away, you've got your house, you're right, you've got enough money to live on, and you had lots left over, what would you do with that? Keep it in the bank. The second thing I would wish for would be for the world to become a pure place. Okay. And last thing I wish for would be for the world to have absolutely no reason to to go to war in any way. Yeah, I love that. I love that. My grandfather went to war and he didn't come home, Private William Albert Stevenson, lest we forget. So, I, look, I love that. That's beautiful. And for the world to be a pure place. Yeah. What book are you reading at the moment? I'm actually reading a book called My Balkan Heart. Okay, what's that about? Hang on a second. I'll just get it out real quick. Okay. Um, my Balkan heart is about a young woman by the name of Miriana. I don't really know how to pronounce her surname. How do you spell that? I mean, pronounce it? Glagorovich, I think. Let's run with that. Gl- Glagorovich. Miriana Glagor... Glagor... Ah, I'm having trouble pronouncing it. Mirjana Glagorovic. It sounds like Croatian or It's actually so she's Serbian actually. Uh, there you go. She, so it would be it would be it would be Mirjana Glagorovic, yeah. Yeah, she authored this book. It was about her first solo traveling experience which started in Belgrade and explored many countries in the Balkans even though she has cerebral palsy. So she she's used she's using her journey with autism and cerebral palsy to inspire others and hopes that her tips from flights and hotel arrivals to everything else will help make a travel experience a beauty. The Balkans actually has a very war-torn history, but this also clears up a lot of misconceptions as, as well. The Balkans consist of countries like Greece, Croatia, Belgrade, um, Serbia, Romania, Bulgaria, Albania, all those countries, and even Kosovo. I actually met Miriana um, in Melbourne early last month, and I had a date with her. Really? Did she sign the book? or you? Nope. I actually bought, yeah. it, bought it on Amazon. That sounds like an interesting book, and the fact that the, the lead character um, has a disability and he's advocating so strong and being a role model, yeah, it yeah. sounds like it's right in your wheelhouse, mate. Yeah, that's I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get it and read it. Sounds good. Oh, that sounds really cool. What's your definition of a happy life? That's a bit of a tough one. Well, my, de- my definition of a happy life would be, well, in my case, if I had wealth, inner peace, a house, a cottage actually, a, a pet – a spouse and an acting career, I'd be able to live life to the fullest. And, mm-hmm. but for everyone, everyone has different things they want in life. Um, it's about living a happy life is about living life to the fullest and not allow work to consume your life and decide what your heart wants and not, and not 
spend your whole life abiding other people's wishes because really you're not doing yourself any favors that's really good advice michael and i i think that advice taps into the heart of why you are such a good role model mate thank um, you yeah following your passions authentically and honestly with courage yeah living with value yeah that's beautiful mate well, thank you for chatting with me today, Michael. I could talk with you for hours. Same. It's, it's been wonderful, really wonderful chatting with you. I, thank you, mate. Thank, thank you so much, Matt, for coming on today's episode. I really appreciate it. I had a blast talking to you. <laughs> Pleasure's all mine, buddy.